0: reading from the gospel of john 13th chapter verses 1 through 4 this is the word of the lord now before the feast of the passover jesus knowing that his hour had come that he would depart out of this world to the father having loved his own who were in the world he loved them to the end during supper The devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. And here in the building united in prayer may we also be united in a desire to hear from you to hear from your word to hear you speak lord may we see the heart of our savior as he ordains this meal for his disciples to continue and for us today to share in as an act of love may we see it more clearly than ever before And may we rejoice that we get to meet Jesus at his table, the table of the king, this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. John wrote those words about Jesus nearly 2,000 years ago. And today... Those words are still as true as they have ever been, and they provide us with the theme text for this year's Lent sermon series, With Jesus to the End. Beginning today and going through Easter Sunday, we will be walking with Jesus to the end. We'll be walking with him to the end of his earthly life, to the end of his mission, to the end of his redemptive work. We're beginning our journey with Jesus to the end in John chapter 13 uh, with John's account of the Last Supper Jesus had with his disciples. From there, next week, we will go with Jesus to the garden. Then the following Sunday, we'll be with him at his trial. And after that, we'll walk with Jesus to the bitter end he faced at the cross. And then finally, on Easter Sunday, will stand beside the empty tomb and see that death isn't the end, not for Jesus and not for us. Hallelujah. Since this sermon series is beginning on Churchwide Communion Sunday, when a lot of our people are gone, out meeting in homes, uh, today's message will mainly be about the Lord's Supper, which you may hear me reference this morning in several different ways, typically When Christians talk about the practice of eating and drinking, which Jesus ordained at the Last Supper, we use several interchangeable terms. As Baptists, we most often refer to what we're doing as the Lord's Supper or the Lord's table, but you'll also hear us referring to it as Holy Communion or, more succinctly, simply as Communion. Referring to the Lord's Supper as Communion highlights the real aspect of fellowship we're meant to have here and connection we believe we're experiencing with our Lord. It's communion. Other Christians, those a bit more high church than probably most of us here, prefer to use the term Eucharist, which is Latin for giving thanks. That's what we're doing as well. We're giving thanks. Or else they call it the sacrament, a word that conveys the idea that grace is being received and imparted as we come to the Lord's table. It's a means of grace. And properly understood, I don't have an issue with any of those terms, and in conversation, I might use them all interchangeably. But for the sake of those taking notes today, I'm going to stick mostly with just one term so that all the points today have the same word. They start with the same word, and I'm going to pick a term that I'm confident that Joey can spell, (laughs) so I'm not going to use Eucharist this morning. Uh, The term that I am going to most often use is communion, communion. Communion—a word that communicates what is in the meaning of this meal. It's it's that act of fellowship. It's an act of participation in a relationship. It's intimacy that we get to experience. It's an act of communion between lovers. It's what the table is. In our passage today, we're going to see six aspects of communion. We're going to see communion in six different ways, from six different angles. And each of these six aspects flows from John's mature reflection on the Last Supper. It's worth noting that John in chapter 13 gives us one of the shortest accounts of any gospel writer about the Last Supper, but even this short account is jam-packed, With significant connections. We're gonna see six of those. There's actually more. I had to drop a few points, but we're gonna see six this morning. I want to spend our time drawing out these six connections. And as you hear them, prepare yourself. Prepare your heart. Whether you're here in the room or gathered with one of our deacons watching the, the live stream, prepare yourself today to take communion with these six important realities in mind. The first one is this. I want you to see communion as a temporary ordinance in this world. Communion as a temporary ordinance in this world. This aspect of communion is connected to what is said about Jesus in verse 1. Look at verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knowing his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father. Jesus knew that the time was limited. He knew an hour was coming, his hour of suffering, of death, of redemption, of resurrection. The hour is coming. He knew his time was limited and that his hour had come. So what does he do? Time's limited. His hour's come. What does he do? What does he do knowing his time is coming to its end with his disciples? What does he do? He eats and drinks with his followers. He establishes a meal of remembrance with his disciples and intends for them to partake of it, but for a limited time. He commands his followers to observe a meal, proclaiming his death until, there's an end to it, until he comes again. It's a temporary ordinance. Communion, like baptism, is an ordinance. It's something the Lord ordained for his followers to do. It's not optional, is it? Churches don't get to shrug off baptism or the Lord's Supper, like they're insignificant, optional things. We don't get to say, we just can't be bothered about those, baptism, Lord's Supper. We can't say that. They're not optional. They're ordinances. They're acts our Lord ordained for his church to do. Neglecting them is the same as neglecting the king's orders. It's intentionally disobeying the king's decree. He's ordained for us to do these things. This is something our king has commanded, ordained for his subjects to do. But this is only a temporary decree, it's only for the hour, for this hour, only until we too leave this world until we join our King in departing out of this world to the Father. Communion is an ordinance. It's not optional, but it is a temporary ordinance. It's meant for this season only. It's a grace for this hour. That's the first aspect of communion we see here. Here's a second aspect I want you to see, which is also in verse 1. I want you to see communion as a demonstration of Jesus' continued love. Communion as a demonstration of Jesus' continued love. Look at the rest of verse 1. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. There is a reason why John made this connection at this particular moment. The connection between love, Jesus' love, and the supper that he has given to his disciples. There's there's a reason why John holds off this comment until this moment. During the last supper with his disciples, Jesus was doing something special. He was giving his followers a repeatable testimony of his never-ending love. Is never ending love for them. Think of it like this. What are the two ordinances Jesus gave us? We've already talked about them baptism and the Lord's Supper. I want you to think of baptism like this. Think of baptism like your wedding day. It's a day of publicly declaring that this love in your heart has become an unbreakable covenant. You're you're making in the presence of all. You're showing. Your wedding day is important. It's significant, but it is not your marriage. Marriage is all the shared life that comes after the wedding day, right? Baptism is like the wedding ring. The wedding ring you receive and you wear on your wedding day. This ring... Is not my marriage, but it represents my marriage. It's not my marriage, it represents my marriage. It's a visible sign that I'm in a covenant relationship. By it, others see that I am not my own, but I am bound by a covenant of love with another, my beloved. This ring is not my marriage in the same way that baptism is not my salvation. It represents my salvation, but just like this ring, just like this ring represents marriage, baptism testifies of my union with Christ. It's not the union itself, but it testifies of the union. Just like my marriage ceremony testifies of my legal union with my bride. Baptism is like the wedding day. It's like the wedding ring. And if that's true... What then is communion like? What's communion like? What comes after the wedding day and the ring? The kiss. The kiss. Communion is like the kiss. The often repeated act of intimacy. Communion is like a fresh Expression of the bridegroom's love. It is his renewed embrace of you. With all your baggage, with all your scars, the bridegroom embraces you again at the table. You can't imagine marriage without fresh expressions of love and affection, can you? Hopefully you can't. Holy communion comes to us like a fresh affectionate touch from our beloved. Ask yourself this. Ask your heart. Do you crave the caring touch of someone who loves you? Is that something you desire deep within? Well, in communion, you have it. You have it from Jesus. Here is truth you can touch. Here's truth that touches you. Here is intimacy offered you at this table. Built into marriage, there is a covenant renewal ceremony where two become one in love. Here also, in communion, two become one as we feast upon our self-giving lover. Jesus, the lover of our souls. Some people renew their marriage vows on special anniversaries. You might be one of those. You might not be. But every time you come to the table, it is like you are renewing your vows to Jesus vows to love and to honor, vows to serve and to cherish and we're told as we come to this table it's a time of for a time of renewal it is also a time of repenting it's a time of repenting of all those times we've broken those vows in coming i'm coming acknowledging in my heart that i've gone after other lovers and i need to repent and return i repent i come to the table repenting and confessing Confessing my renewed commitment to the one who loves me and gave himself for me. To the one who's loved me to the end. We need to see communion as a demonstration of Jesus' continued love for us. That's the second thing. Here's the third aspect I want you to see. I want you to see communion as an act of defiance to the devil. Communion is an act of defiance to the devil. Look at verse 2. During supper, during the, so the last supper is happening. During supper, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Jesus Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. During the last supper, we see the devil at work. He is actively opposing what Jesus is instituting. The enemy sows seeds of betrayal. Against the king who ordains this meal. Why? Satan hates this supper. Satan hates this supper. He hates what it stands for, he hates what it does in the hearts of those who by faith participate in it, he hates the rhythm of repentance it builds into our lives. He hates the opportunity it gives for prodigals to recognize their need for Jesus and come back home again, return to the embrace of love. He hates the truth illustrated here at this table, one of Jesus substitutionary sacrifice for us. Satan hates the unity displayed as we all share in the same bread and cup together. He hates the closeness and intimacy that this meal gives us with our heavenly host. Satan hates this supper. So, participating, partaking in this table with real faith is like an act of defiance against the devil. Coming to this table is like an act of rebellion against the prince of darkness. It is like the clenched fist In the serpent's face, declaring, we have found the source of better, truer life, and it is not you. It is not your lies. Coming to this table is like stomping upon the dragon's tail. You're defeated, Satan. We've escaped to once again enjoy the bounty of our king. We renounce your twisted kingdom. We renounce you and your ways. Offer us all the riches. Offer to us all the power, all the pleasures at your disposal. And we would choose this table still. We choose communion with our Lord. And in doing so, we defy the devil and tear down his work. We defy Him and kick over our idols each time we come to this table confessing Christ as our King. If you're looking to join in a righteous rebellion, pushing back the darkness, you might find this act of defiance surprising. It isn't spray painting a slogan on a wall somewhere. It isn't joining a protest march. It isn't anything flashy. It's simply coming to a table and surrendering. Surrendering to a king's good reign. That's the act of defiance. That's the fourth aspect we want to consider this morning. Well, we've seen this is an act of Communion, uh, act, communion is an act of defiance against the devil. Here's the fourth thing we want to see. It is an act of allegiance to the king. It's an act of defiance to the devil. It is an act of allegiance to the king. We see this connection being made for us in verse 3. Look at verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into his hands. What do you call someone? Who has all things in his hands. What do you call someone who's been given all authority in heaven and on earth? You call him Lord, right? You call him your king. Coming to the Lord's table is an act of allegiance to King Jesus. Have you ever seen a film or read a book depicting the vassals, the nobles of a new king coming and swearing fealty? to him, what do they do? They come forward one at a time. Usually they kneel and they swear an oath of fealty, of allegiance to the king and to his heirs. And often as a sign of that promise, they kiss his hand, they kiss the ring. And if he is a good king, he will also make some kind of covenant with them. The king has responsibilities he has to fulfill as well. This kind of ceremony would be renewed with every new king and with every new member of the nobility, swearing allegiance to the king. Here is another picture of what we're doing when we come to the Lord's table. We're coming, once again, to swear allegiance to a king and to his kingdom. We're coming to swear fealty to Jesus to the kingdom of God, that we've been transferred. We've transferred our citizenship out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his marvelous light. And in doing so, we've been elevated. Higher than nobles, higher than knights in this kingdom, we have been adopted into his royal family. We are sons and daughters of the king. We are the bride. Of the Prince of Heaven. As we come to the table today to make the true allegiance of our hearts clear once again, whatever our past life, whatever our past week has been, here we say, I am your man, my King. I am your daughter, my Lord. Where you send me, I will go. And at the table, the Lord also renews his promise to us. Where I send you, there I will be also. My reign over you is one of love. My burden is light. My service is joy. My sacrifice for you is life, eternal and forevermore. As we take communion today, both here in the building and gathered in homes across the city, we swear allegiance to a king. A king who has wrestled and defeated death itself in order to bring us into his kingdom. As we partake, let's not forget this great thing, this great act of allegiance that we do. There's a fifth aspect of communion I want you to see. Look again at verse 3. Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. He was going back. I want you to see communion as a foretaste of what's to come. Communion as a foretaste of what's to come. You may look at this meal now, and let's be honest, it can feel pretty scant. A thimbleful of grape juice, a crust of bread. Although, if you're here in the building, we do have Doris Barton bread here on our table, which is a major upgrade from the prepackaged unleavened wafers we sent out with some of our deacons um, to our homes. Uh, but even, If this table held the best bread in the world, which Barton bread is, this doesn't look like a meal that would fill you up, does it? That would fill anyone. But guess what? It's not supposed to. It's supposed to leave you longing for something more. It's supposed to be a foretaste of something greater that is coming. It's supposed to cultivate taste buds in your mind and heart for a future meal God will provide. A heavenly banquet of which God himself is the host. What we do now is only the foretaste of what's to come. It's meant to create categories in our mind and stir longings in our hearts. And some of you will feel this more than others. Let me speak for a moment directly to our homebound folks. Watching with church family through the live stream. Some of you know and feel very keenly that... You have a limited number of times left to experience the foretaste. To experience the foretaste in this life. That's true of all of us, by the way. There's a limited number of times we get to come to the table. That's true of all of us. But those in our church family whose health doesn't allow them to be here with us, you know the foretaste left to you is very limited. That's one of the reasons why we're doing what we're doing today. If this is the last time ever that you experience the foretaste, hallelujah, you will know the fullness hereafter. Jesus said, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until I drink it new with you, with you. In my Father's kingdom. We are all. Just one mile away. From inheriting that kingdom. And receiving that cup. In our hands. Some of us. Are just one communion away. From tasting the fullness. And that's not a tragedy. That's a joyful hope. and expectation. So. As we take communion today, let's receive it for what it is, as a scant but sweet foretaste of the feast that is coming, when all of God's children finally come home. This is a foretaste of what's to come. There's a sixth and final aspect of communion I want you to see before we partake today. I want you to see communion as an act of self Sacrificial service, self sacrificial service. Look at verse 4. Jesus, he got up from the supper and laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Both the context and the content of communion revolve around the idea of self sacrifice, self sacrificial service. In the context of the Lord's Supper, Jesus goes straight from instituting the meal into washing his disciples' feet. Again, we, we, we see that here. And we will hear him say in verse 13 of chapter 13, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. If our king condescends to serve us, then we ought to serve one another. It just makes sense. If we live in a kingdom where our sovereign serves his subjects, then we, the subjects, who are much lower than the king, ought to humble ourselves and serve one another. Coming to the Lord's table certainly has a vertical element to it. We're coming to worship the king, but it also has a horizontal element to it. We're coming as servants, putting others before ourselves, putting one another before ourselves. That's the context of communion. The Lord's Supper is contextually bound to self-sacrificial service. That's the context of communion, But it's also the content of communion. In communion itself, Jesus is saying, This is my body, sacrificed for you. This is my blood poured out to service your debt. The very content conveyed at the table is a vivid picture of sacrifice. Jesus sacrificed himself that we might live. His body was broken that ours might be eternally healed. His blood was poured out in crimson streams so that our sins might be washed as white as snow. Can you see the beauty bound up in this table? Can you see the beauty of God's self-sacrifice put on display here? Can you see the beauty of service pictured in communion? And church, we haven't seen the half of it this morning. There is so much more to say about communion. What we're about to do here in the building and scattered across the city, what we're about to do is more significant than we realize. This is truth you can touch. This is an act of defiance against the darkness. This is an act of allegiance to creation's rightful king. This is a demonstration of Jesus' continued love for you. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Let's receive this statement of Jesus' love as we enter into a time of communion together. Let's pray. Father, as we approach the table now, may all these great and weighty realities sink into our hearts. Lord, we want to come as those who recognize the self-sacrificial service of a Savior. We want to come as those who swear anew, our allegiance to a king, who defy the devil and his work, who receive this now as a testament of your love for us. Lord, may all these things and more fill our hearts as we approach the Lord's table and take communion together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.